Hello, this is the HSJ Health Check Podcast. I'm Annabelle Collins and I'm here with Nick Harding and Dave West. This week we're talking about the controversial North Bristol A&E model and how the trust that pioneered it has seen a significant improvement in performance. We'll also talk more about risk sharing and whether more trusts will adopt this model as any departments get busier this winter. Also this week, we're returning to everyone's favourite subject, productivity in the NHS, which was raised again in this week's Health and Social Care Committee. And amid news in the national media that McKinsey has been hired by the NHS to look at it. More from Dave on that a bit later. But first, let's start with the North Bristol model. And Nick, you did an interview with the chief executive of North Bristol um, NHS Trust, which was the pioneer of this model. I think a good place to start is what exactly does it involve? So the North Bristol model, um, basically what they're doing in North Bristol is that in the ED, when it's very busy, they will move patients from the ED every hour uh, from ED and up to the most uh, appropriate ward for their needs and hopefully also where discharges are expected, even if those wards are full. That's very, very simply uh, how the model works. So the model locally is actually called uh, continuous preemptive flow model, um, but North Bristol model is a lot easier to remember. So that's why it's suddenly become known as the North Bristol model. Um, but yeah, the, the principle is that um, with EDs becoming increasingly busy, uh, you basically move an amount of patients from the ED up to the wards, regardless of whether or not those wards are full. And in doing so, you are decongesting ED. It means that you have more capacity to uh, get patients offloaded from ambulances. And obviously that means that ambulances can return to their calls out in the community faster. Um, and so, yeah, in theory, it, it, it helps sort of spread that risk of overcrowding ED in ED throughout the hospitals. Mm. And I think we've probably all noticed trusts that we cover doing something similar to this. This isn't a brand new concept of transferring patients out of ED, but I think this is kind of the first time where they kind of said, this is going to be our, our model going forward. Yeah, they, they, they've really they've really sort of gone for it in, in North Bristol. And um, I mean, it's interesting that the reason, one of the reasons I, I interviewed the CEO, Maria Kane, was because... Um, it was sort of just over a year since they had uh, implemented that model kind of formally. It actually started um, back in July last year when, if you remember, we had a very, very a big heat wave, um, which was leading to a lot of uh, pressure on, on ED, a lot of attendance at ED for North Bristol. So staff felt we need to do something different here um, because there, were, there was a lot of trolley waits and a lot of ambulance, um, ambulances waiting outside. So... Um, in North Bristol, they decided to really uh, go for this model. And if you look at their ED performance, so from July 2022, their ED performance against the four-hour target was 51%. Um, if you then fast forward to August 2023, uh, it had gone from 51 to 72%. So an increase of 20-odd percentage points. And the national average went from 51 to 59 so North Bristol's uh, performance did improve um, 
by an extra 10-odd percentage points compared to the England average. And in fact, North Bristol in April this year, they were uh, performing at 80%. So they did, they did see quite a significant improvement quite quickly. Um, so that's um, probably partly why um, Maria Kane, when I spoke to her, said that on balance, the trust is, is very happy with the new system. Uh, it has helped their performance. Um, and she acknowledges that it is controversial because you are spreading risk to the wards and that can make uh, the workforce quite concerned. Um, but, um, and we can come on to that, I'm sure, about the, about the risks. But yeah, on, on balance, she says that the trust is, is pretty happy with it. It's given them a chance to to decongest ED um, because as well, you look at who's coming to ED and when they're coming, it means you're able to kind of predict some extent what the demand will be. And that also means as this model has evolved, the wards also have got used to sort of anticipating how many patients are likely to be coming up to their wards at certain times, which means they then can start preparing for that, even if they are themselves full. So it, it's a very, I think, interesting model. And it is it has happened elsewhere as well. It's by no means limited to just North Bristol. Um, but um, I think I'm not quite sure why North Bristol has sort of hit the headlines as much as it has. Cause it has happened elsewhere too, but North, it's sort of become known as the North Bristol model, maybe partly because of the the uh, improvements they had in their performance. And I think it just seems to have been delivered quite well there. They've got the workforce on board um, and they have reaped the rewards. It, it's not a panacea, but it has improved things there. Yeah, it reminds me, I can think of a model at um, University Hospitals of the North Midlands called Your Next Patient, which is essentially the same. It's moving patients out of A&E and treating them on wards um, and also treating them um, in corridors. So corridor care has now made a permanent feature of how the trust cares for patients i was wondering nick do you do you get the impression from the trust that this is going to be a permanent way of um, delivering care because I, I wonder when it was first introduced was it seen as this is a temporary measure a very pressurized time and now it's just become you know business yeah i think i mean one of the reasons i think they got the um the workforce on board was that they said they did say when they implemented it this uh, we're going to keep this under continuous review so if it is found not to be working, we will not continue it. It's not, so in that sense, it's not actually a permanent uh, Im sort of implementation um, because they have said, look, if, 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 it's, if it's shown not to work, we will go back or do something else because we're not going to keep doing something just for the sake of it. And I think that probably helped placate maybe some of the concerns that staff did have. It's interesting what you talk about at UH&M, and the corridor care sort of being an accepted model um, of care at busy times because in Bristol, from the conversations that they had with the clinicians and the nurses, it was felt that this model was far more um, palatable um, to work with than to have lots of patients in corridors. That mm. you know that a lot of um, clinicians felt that look, we wanted we were desperate to just stop having patients on trolleys. We need to do something different. Let's try this. Um, so it shows that, you know, the, the different, you know, differences can happen across hospitals ultimately. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very, um, I think, I think, you know, it's, is it permanent? I think as long as it works, it will be there. Um, but, uh, Maria, uh, Kane said to me in the interview, if for whatever reason it's, it seems to sort of stop working. Um, they will not hesitate in changing it because 
it is under constant review. I wonder if um, I just had a question, Nick, but I was also going to mention the in terms of that, you know, interesting point about um, about how they seemingly engaged. You know, on the face of it, they've engaged well with the workforce, including nurses, to to bring about this change. Um, and like the has not been absolutely been able to do it without too much opposition. Um, uh, I think the point was made by Maria Kane and others that the, the nursing director there is kind of very experienced and kind of prominent and well regarded, and so that's perhaps perhaps helped. But it seems clearly that important that sort of culture and um, strength of of kind of leadership and management to get in that done um, but the other thing that struck me about it was um we, we were talking about this the other day when you when we were talking about the story i think the sort of speed of um you know i, I when we were talking about it i thought oh it's been must have been going for a few years now because it seems so you discussion about north bristol model seems so ubiquitous and you know I, I think it has been adopted quite widely though nobody quite knows how widely do they but um but i think there's quite a few places got version of it like and like annabelle saying in stoke it's kind of described differently but it's quite wide but i mean it was only like last summer wasn't it i think so before last winter mm. when they started doing it and now it's um and i think actually the spread has for quite a significant clinical change the spread has been quite well word got around very quickly and then the spread i think has probably been fairly rapid even though people were including the emergency medics are asking for, for more spread, but I think that's been adopted pretty quickly. Whether that's a good thing, because it shows the NHS can actually change big things quite quickly when it finds something that works, or whether it's a bad thing because it's not actually been evaluated. So it's quite dangerous to spread something around um, rapidly where there's obvious some potential yeah. risks and it's not actually been evaluated. I don't know would people would have different views, but um, but it did strike me that, well, it's only just over a year ago and it's pretty, um, got, a, got a lot of legs. Yeah. I know. I mean, there was a there was a few hospitals in London that have been, I think, piloting it. I'm not sure what happened there. I did ask NHS England. Um, you know, do we know how many trusts are using uh, these kind of continuous uh, flow models, which is the, probably the the boring term for it? NHS England said they didn't. Well, they didn't really answer it. I'm not sure they know it themselves. And um, the point was made by uh, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine that actually this isn't really in that much to do with NHS England yet like they're just they would encourage trusts to to, to look at it themselves so yeah, um, they could lean on them quite heavily can't they and I think they probably did I mean you know uh, some of the examples they probably have been on quite leaning on people quite heavily when they when they have the big ambulance queues and the big um, long A&E ways they, they have the ability to and along with their sort of integrated care systems and regions and stuff to, to lean on them pretty heavily but it's not yeah I mean technically it's not there. I mean it's, it's not a precisely defined thing to the could sort of there's no reporting on it thank goodness you know interesting yeah like the rapid it seems it's probably spread just as quickly as uh virtual wards arguably but without the like you know all the targets and kind of formal targets and without the spreadsheets and the you know counting and things like that so, yeah yeah that might be one of the reasons it maybe has succeeded in bristol that you know, they didn't have this kind of oh okay we're going to implement this model and we expect to see our ed performance improve by you know three percentage points per month yeah it doesn't seem to have been kind of very target-led it's just been led genuinely in a response to some very troubling sort of situations in ed and, and with the ambulances um but of course as you say it's not without the risk and the risk needs to be evaluated and I think it's important also to highlight that um, the Nuffield Trust has uh, sort of raised some concerns. They they wrote a blog um, which looked at uh, the kind of mortality 
uh, which is associated with overcrowding, um, whether it's in hospital, hospital or in ED. And they've pointed to a couple of studies that suggest that where hospitals have kind of sped up the process of admitting patients onto wards from ED, um, the mortality can go up uh, on the wards. That's that's from a study in, in America. Um, and there's something similar from, from Australia as well. So I think when you're looking at this type of model, you have to be very open about the, the risks and there are risks. And this is, there has been, to my knowledge, no kind of, you know, nationally led evaluation of these types of models in England. Maybe that is something for NHS England. Um, who knows? But yeah, so I think it's, and, and North Bristol as well were very clear about that. And they did, um, again, I think is what they did was right. They they shared their, their model with the CQC uh, beforehand. They shared it, I think, with the Royal College of Nursing as well, because they were, I think the majority of the concerns came from the nursing workforce. Um, so they really did engage with the RCN, uh, Maria Kane uh, told me. So they, they did kind of, you know, run this by a couple of the relevant bodies that might have an interest in, in what, what is the risk here. Um, and I think that was sensible. Interesting to see if the RCN takes any kind of position on it. So I think they've been kind of asked to a little bit, but they do have a strong RCN in the Southwest. And if they've engaged with them, then it'd be hard for them then to change their mind. Um, but the... Um, do you, one thing I was going to ask was about discharge because covering integration, you know, a lot of the stuff you look at, a lot of the the source of the problem, and you can see this in the southwest. I think over the last couple of years, is is problems with di- discharge from the ward. So you know, the, the wards get backed up, and then ED gets backed, up and then ambulances get backed up. Is is put this continuous flow into the ward? Is there an idea that then that sort of puts pressure on the ward to then push people out to discharge faster? I wonder. Yeah, that's actually very interesting on the discharge because while North Bristol obviously had an improvement in their ED performance, at one point last year, they were actually among the trust with the highest number of delayed discharges on their wards. Um, so that, that has got better now in the last six months, but I think it was last sort of October, November, they were really um, at the bottom end of the table for for, for long, uh, a lot of patients that were stuck in hospital. Um, that Yeah, that has got better. So um, they are working very hard on that, I know. Um, and, and interestingly enough, there is something in the Nuffield, Trust Health, Nuffield Trust's uh, report on, on this. They did mention that ultimately it may not have much impact on your ability to discharge patients or not, because ultimately most uh, discharge delays are due to weights in the community. So, um, yeah, for North... That's true, but the, I did know, I know it's one of the comments on, some of the comments on the story said, on your story said um, that you know, we've introduced this here and it's led to greater use of the discharge lounge, I think they said, which I suppose is trying to move people who are kind of ready for discharge, moving them out to a sort of um, less, uh, less intense. Mm, yeah yeah and they're doing that in Bristol as well they've got a, a discharge lounge that they've got in place now and then again Maria Kane is, was talking about the various things they're doing to improve discharges but yeah the precise kind of link between them I'm, I'm not quite sure how they affect each other but it, I didn't think that it was a slight kind of maybe it's like paradox that they were doing quite well on the ED but doing very badly on the delayed discharges although I think that has as I say improved um, this year I think as well this links quite nicely to our next subject of, of productivity 
um, which we have talked about on the podcast before, of course, but I think it's been brought back into the news this week as Amanda Pritchard was speaking at the Health and Social Care Committee earlier this week. And also, as I said, there's been um, some bits in the national news around McKinsey being brought in, brought in to look at productivity in the NHS. So let's start with... Um, some of Amanda's comments, Dave. Um, she said that productivity is misunderstood, I believe. I wonder, do you think that's a fair assessment? Um, yeah, I mean, so like you said, um, these uh, the debate's been rumbling a little bit, but but it's for for a while. When I um, I think I spoke to Julian Kelly about this maybe about a year ago, um, and um, but um but it's coming to a head now and is and is now i think becoming quite a quite a uh, public and concerning problem f- for the nhs in terms of um in terms of p- the perception as well as the the reality of what it what it actually means about operational problems um and the in the last couple of weeks it's come to a head because there was an article in the times um early this week um saying that nhs england had itself hired um, mckinsey to, to 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 look at this to analyze why it was having productivity problems or whether there is a productivity problem um and but more pointedly the the sort of headline and top line of that times problem time story said the nhs is doing less uh work despite more money and more staff um which obviously is really Concerning from an NHS England uh, uh, point of view, and um, and and Amanda Pritchard kind of hit back, um, seemingly in 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 sort of speaking to the Health and Se- Social Care Select Committee on um, Tuesday, um, she um, was asked about productivity in a slightly different way, but 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 made the point that the NHS, she said, was in, was doing far more um, and differently than before COVID. Um, not so i not doing less but uh, but actually doing far more um and she said that the productivity issue um had been um somewhat misunderstood as as you say um and um you know the 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 ifs and the times um you know wrote this up again um the ifs um institute of fiscal studies obviously fairly reputable um, albeit you know not infallible group of people but pretty pretty um reputable on 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 economics came back again to, to her and they've looked at this issue and said, well, actually, she's wrong. There is a problem and the NHS is not really doing more and, and is therefore um, having increased inputs is is less productive. Um, and, and all this is all pretty problematic for, for the NHS because obviously the, the, it suggests the idea that it's being badly run and is, um, you know, a, a kind of bottomless money pit. Um, and uh, it's a debate that's going to continue because we've had the... Um, uh, we've got the, the autumn statement coming up um, next week, and we think there's a lot of work on productivity gone into that, and expect to come out looking at public sector productivity. We don't yet know how it will be um, kind of spun by the government. It'll be interesting to see what what sort of words they use about NHS uh, productivity there, whether they're going to present it as a problem or, or an opportunity, as it were. Um, because you know there is a way, and we'll, we'll come on to there is a, as a kind of part of this that's an opportunity to invest and and try to improve productivity in a, in a kind of thoughtful way. Uh, but it, but it also it's a threat if people are perceiving it as a as, as a bottomless money pit. Um, and um, and and on that note, you know we're streeting was speaking yesterday on Wednesday. Um, and, and who who you know he's always got a strong strong line in rhetoric around um, the kind of waste and some of the problems of the the NHS and he he reinforced this line of argument that that we're getting less for more in the NHS and and obviously all this is concerning going into a, a general election um 
period, particularly when and and the period when the NHS is is going to be looking for more resources, not not less. Um, to your question of you know, well, is who is it misunderstood or not? Um, you know, or is that actually NHS actually doing far more um, than uh, than it was before COVID, uh, um, as Amanda Pritchard said. Um, it's obviously a little complex, although in in a sense, from um, the measures of productivity which economists use, you know, and uh, you know they can choose their the economists. They sort of set the definition of productivity in a sense. It it is down, and so there's no um, real. Uh, there's a sense that there's no point arguing with that uh, matter of fact where they set the definitions, um, and you know, particularly glaringly elective inpatient activity. Um, so actual procedures and operations getting done in the NHS has really struggled to recover since mm-hmm. COVID, um, certainly not back to the kind of trend rate of growth um, from from before COVID. And, you know, on outpatient some diagnostics, particularly some diagnostics, things have been a bit better, um, but still not brilliant. Um, and this is clearly a big, big problem when grappling with, with the elective waiting list being the big, big problem in front of us. Um, uh, however, there are... You know, it is actually not quite that simple. And there's, I'd say, there's two categories of of points sort of that can be made in response to this problem. Um, and they do get a bit confused, which leads to some of the um, leads to some of the the kind of rails and tensions around this. I think sort of point point one, the formula is actually not completely set in stone and indisputable. Um, you know, a formula of productivity, and it's very, in a sense, there's a sort of beautiful simplicity about productivity equals. Um, outputs over inputs um but um you know you can there was a good lecture last week actually around um product nhs productivity by uh, uh, diane coyle who's an eminent uh eminent economist um she gave a, a, a lecture hosted by the health foundation um and uh, and she was you know although um talking about the productivity problem and she did set out that there is one um in the nhs she was also clear that that the the equation is not necessarily great at capturing all types of output um you know acknowledging for example things like preventative work community services primary care are not necessarily all well captured and particularly sort of new types of output um like you know virtual wards the nhs doesn't really count very well what's going on in virtual wards and new types of community health urgent community response and so on is notoriously rubbish activity data let alone sort of data about what quality you were getting out of that um so there are some problems there and, and the impact of technology as well she acknowledged could be um could sort of skew a productivity calculation um and the, the inputs uh input top side of the equation is also a little bit open to question you know is um you know and Anita charlesworth from the health foundation has, has kind of in pointed to this a little bit you know actually are um is this less discretionary work going in from the staff that we have um therefore um actually there is less staffing uh going in not 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 as much more as it as it looks like because of that recruitment during during covid um uh you know on the other hand you know coming back on that people like our columnist steve black and an analyst and sort of big proponent of, of kind of operational rigor for for solving this problem would say well you know if if NHS England or NHS's argument is we we are doing more, but we can't really prove it because it's all very complicated, so we have no hard evidence. You know that's not very persuasive, and actually they should spend their time trying to solve the problems rather than kind of throw throw uh, kind of confusion into the matter. And the, the idea that that all this this stuff which is important but um, 
important stuff like virtual wards and urgent community response, but doesn't really add up to doing enough elective and, and emergency admissions. It's it's not the mass business of the NHS. It's not wholly persuasive that it would mm. totally compensate. I'd say the other the other side of that coin, so the the kind of the side of the coin which is that formula is not completely set in stone. Um, is true. There's a, a, another argument that I think gets gets a bit confused and, and gets um, passions up around this. is is not to say that actually um, the productivity calculation is wrong, but to say, look, there are some reasons, or you might say excuses or justifications, why this has happened. So, um, and people can get very defensive, can't they? Because clearly, um, uh, uh, clearly, NHS staff feel um, they are working very hard. Um, they don't feel they're being unproductive. Um, and the measures would suggest that people are working pretty hard, you know, morale and and things like that. Um, um, but, you know, pr economists, um, the, the suggestion of productivity sum is not that people aren't working hard. If anything, it's trying to say that people are working too hard, but we're not getting enough out for it. You know, so you can be uh, you can be working very hard, but in a sort of broken machine that's um, that's that's not uh, that means we're not getting back what, what all those people we, we should be from what all those people are doing um so i think there's there's a different important argument there and, and a whole bunch of stuff coming out of that about like well actually you know patients are sicker um you know so maybe their length of stay is longer because of that maybe because social care is broken um maybe because staff sickness is up all kinds of reasons and good justifications for um for why productivity might have fallen but it doesn't mean it's actually not a problem it's just telling you about well, what you might need to look at to try and solve that problem um if that makes sense um so uh, uh so i think you know i have some sympathy with with um a lot of sympathy with with what i'm at the pritchard's tried to say there because actually it is a lot more complicated than um uh th than i think um some people have put forward and and actually i think some nhs leaders really have accepted this sort of a little bit too readily um to say oh, well we've got this problem we just kind of if only we get our machine to go faster um mm. you know productivity i mean it's interesting isn't it with these trends like we've very rarely talked about it and very rarely heard about it from the nhs until the last couple of years you know they could always have been have been looking at productivity rates um but um so it's a sort of sympathy for that but on the other hand it's the nhs is in a bit of a bind if it finds itself arguing sort of against the ifs is not really a only a good place to be do you think the McKinsey review could provide some answers to these questions? Is that the right way to go about it? Well, I think it's good to look at it. I mean, it, you know, as, as we said, we've been here um, talking about it last year and talked to Julian Kelly, NHS England, about it, um, the finance director. And, and back then, NHS England was um, looking at it in quite some detail and indeed, um, you know, Julian and we and others have put forward all kinds of um, sort of... Uh, potential reasons for why it might be and and ways to solve it i mean at that point julian's strong point was like we need to uh you know d get get um hospitals working more efficiently um you know try and reduce the sort of bed days and and things like that to sort of free up i think it was used the words kind of clogged up hospitals yeah um, and and i think that is you know there was a big shock to the whole system like there has been in many other industries as well kind of shock to the system shock to the workforce from the pandemic and then it's about and, and and it's about kind of um moving part of that's caused various consequences and trying to unpick all those um 
So whether McKinsey can bring any uh, great clarity or new ideas to it, I don't suppose they can. Can they quantify? You know, I mean, you say, well, look, which of these problems is actually the biggest one? I don't know. Lots of people have looked at it, and they've. I think it's kind of about um, about actually, yes, the NHS in the longer term should get better information about what its productivity and actually its value as well, because that would bring in some more important calculations about what what you know, what people are actually getting out of the health service rather than just the kind of um, running on the um, sort of hamster wheel of, of activity. Um, you know, the, the NHS should get better at calculating that, but that's going to take a long while. Um, so in, in the meantime, it just needs to work quite hard at fixing all these things, doesn't it? Yeah, reducing bed days getting discharges uh you know theater productivity there's plenty of people and and, and maybe come on to a little bit of that but like what people actually are doing behind the scenes about yeah. on, on these issues um you know people like um jim mackie on the elective program um and um you, you know the gift you know there's lots of work going on and lots of people accept that theater productivity is hugely variable and they're sort of trying to do something about it i suppose question whether they're doing enough about it and doing it in the right way yeah, I suppose on that point about what people are actually doing, Dave, it'd be interesting to hear more about that um, story this week, actually, just about Manchester um, being told that there's, I think their staffing establishment increases aren't, aren't justified. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and that's a kind of a, a straw in the wind, really. You get big greater Manchester's finances, uh, you know, yeah. sort of become a, a poster boy for um, the absolutely disastrous um, kind of going off the cliff finances in the last six months. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, um, and you know, fires turnaround director Stephen Hay going in and everything. Um, and, um, but this has been... Although Amanda Pritchard is is saying to the committee, and clearly she needs to um, stick up for the NHS, or she's felt she's needed to stick up for the NHS on this, she's saying you know the NHS is doing far more, and we, the, the productivity problem is is overestimated. She's not actually saying there isn't a problem, um, and certainly behind the scenes, Julian um, Kelly and and other the finance director and and others are saying very robustly, particularly to some systems and some trusts where they where there's financial problems. Um, are saying that you do have a productivity problem and boiling it down to you recruited loads of staff during um, COVID um, and that's costing you loads of money and you're not getting anything back for them. And, you know, the phrase used in in this Greater Manchester work that our colleague um, Lawrence has has revealed this week, um, the phrase is that it's not readily, this this increase in staffing of, I think, 4,000 is the figures to say it's not readily explainable. and you know we've heard this from other systems. It does seem to be a particular issue in in uh, the northwest, I think, and parts of the north where um, where uh, you know people are accepting, or at least um, senior managers are alleging that certain providers and in certain services, and I guess certain workforce groups um, uh, over recruited and couldn't really justify it because at the time during COVID, it was easy to spend money. There was very little by way of approvals and and things like that. Um, so that's happening and, and, and people, you know, particularly after this decision about the billion pounds um, uh, that the Treasury is not going to give the NHS um, <laughs> in the last uh, last week, we talked about, or we talked, you talked about on the podcast last week probably, um, is, um, uh, you know, systems are going to have to make some tough decisions about this, um, mm. but, um, you know, I'd say again, there's a bit of nuance. Your staffing did go up, and some particular organisations, some particular services, probably, um, you know, went uh, have gone 
too far, but actually it was already going up before COVID. You know, the NHS staffing um, demand does go up, and there was a decision to increase NHS staffing in sort of 2000, and, um, you know, after the first half of the 2010, there's a real austerity. There was decisions to train more doctors and to try and recruit more nurses because of, you know, because of what we know about demand and because of safety and quality concerns. So that had already started going up. The the sort of the overall, it's not, it's not terribly clear that there was a massive steep leap, um, you know, when COVID came along. I think it's just a trend of what, what happens. Um, NHS spending did go up a lot during those COVID years because of COVID, but now it's being tightly squeezed back. So it's quite those things are quite likely to get back in in balance particularly with the treasury saying no to to extra revenue um and you know i think the nhs will have to everyone will have to think carefully about what do you really want to be um you know how hard do you really want to be reducing staffing in the nhs um whether that's clinical when you know everything we know about demand and and so on and so on um or non-clinical when actually the the evidence of some of the people who've looked at this and um you know i think it was uh public first looked at it with um maybe the institute for government and said well what you really need is more and better senior management um to be to be making to be managing things better to to make them more productive um so you know it's a pretty bold thing to go around just kind of chopping staff on a on a, on a not completely unless you're very sure about that that's the right thing to do maybe about getting them to the right place and things like getting them in the right service yeah, I think the question about skill mix as well comes up again and, and recruiting the right sorts of staff. And I I know that, the over, for example, nurses, the overall number of nurses has gone up. But when you look at it, community nurses and health visitors and district nurses are either stagnating terribly or they've actually gone down. I think learning yeah. disability nurses has, has gone down by quite a few thousand, actually, since the beginning of the 50,000 more nurses period. So it depends what you look at. It depends yeah. how you're cutting it. And I think as well, talking about delayed discharge, I think those are the sort of staff groups who can help care for people in the community and at home and not in an acute setting. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think, the, I think the skill makes things really tricky to, whenever I talk to people about it, it, it just seems like a really, really tricky thing to work out and define exactly what they mean and how they work it out and how you work out, well, this means we need this number of certain type of staff. It's I don't think anyone's yeah. quite got it yet. Yes, and I mean, is you know, actually, as a result of this increased recruitment, is our wards safer and and you know providing safer, better, sort of higher quality care? You know, that would be a justification for it, wouldn't it? Um, and and there was a big sort of decision around 2013, 2014 Francis review that there had been, a, you know, that things had got sufficiently bad that that they wanted to put in you know, under Jeremy Hunt wanted to push up ward nurse, you know, registered nurse staffing really that and that did happen. Um, but what's what's happened since then is a bit unclear. I mean, you know, CQC ratings are sort of drifting down, but it's yeah. not precipitously, and it's quite hard to 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 work out really from that what's what we're getting for that, for that increase in staffing. I wonder about the health secretary as well because it was one of Steve Barclay's kind of you know, trademark things, wasn't it? And productivity, and now there's a new health secretary. I just wonder whether she'll take a slightly different tone. Whether it will be her big thing as it was for him or whether actually it's just it's it's now kind of got a life of its own the mm-hmm. debate around productivity in the nhs it doesn't need to be driven by a particular health secretary yeah the treasury hasn't she so i suppose she might have the same kind of good point bad good point. background but then I don't, yeah i don't know if she'll be as hot on it as barclay was yeah. 
and the, and I mean, if you yeah, the sort of like it's likely to be we're expecting um, these things to be talked about around the autumn statement next week. Uh, you know how public services could be made to be more productive, and the ONS has done a review of of the statistics actually. So the ONS may come in on the or this debate a bit about you know how do you measure it? Is it being measured properly and that sort of thing? Um, but um, uh, but the, the the kind of potential argument that um, that the new health secretary or or anyone could make and the NHS and it's England and the NHS is trying to make very strongly is well yeah we can increase productivity in the kind of medium term if you invest in in um, uh, technology and um, and buildings you know estates so that people can actually work work more efficiently you know particularly technology and that's something that was Steve Barclay was you know uh, open to wasn't it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is actually the way this question came up, um, Annabelle was um, was about that productivity assumption in the long term plan, and the yeah. NHS England kind of tried to use that to say, well, we can work with these staff numbers, we, you know, staff growth uh, will will be enough if we can increase productivity quite rapidly, and that can only happen if we um, if we get enough investment in technology and. Um, States. Uh, states, but I don't know whether you want to come over to that email on whether that that long term workforce projection is is realistic or not. Of course, um... <laughs> and it's very difficult when you do put the tech in place to measure the benefits and yeah. sometimes the productivity. That's the whole thing as well. So as they're finding with virtual wards, even though you're doing lots of virtual wards, it's not actually helping the you know ED performance or the delayed discharge performance. So mm-hmm. yeah, one thing is to get actually get the money for the tech, which is proving hard enough at the moment. But the next bit is to actually it probably you know show that it is driving up productivity so yeah it's just I, I don't quite see how it ends yeah i don't either and estates as well it's just really tricky to measure and um yeah i suppose is it literally just more operations done kind of how there are there are other bits yeah there are other bits but it does it is very heavily weighted sort of yet yeah, tra- traditional um easily measuring yeah activity um, which is electives and and you know emergency admissions as well um but yeah, very poorly measuring community and stuff like that but it um but they there are there are other bits in there um but it you know that doesn't get a sort of value does it and yeah it kind of are you actually improving people's health i mean there, there's also some weightings from quality and people say well you can't wait it for care quality but you know actually if you think about well what's happened to care probably happens care quality over the last couple of years if you if you count waiting times in that and if you count patient experience in that i mean it's probably pretty that would waiting more for quality is not really going to help the nhs's case in the last two or three years is it because it's been disastrous waiting times and pretty poor patient experience in some cases i also think the retention pieces i think a lot of workforce kind of um experts been saying hasn't enough hasn't had enough um attention fine don't recruit more staff don't increase your establishment but then i think the pressure to be more productive can sometimes really get to people um and i think people might get fed up and not stick around and i think that's quite i sort of think that's actually like could be really really impactful and hasn't really had that much attention and there really isn't very much about that in the workforce plan either except in manchester where they seem to retain too many people i know except in manchester what's what's the secret to that tune in for another episode um but i think i think on that note it's time to wrap up this week but thank you both so much for joining and a reminder to listeners if you haven't subscribed to our podcast please do and join us again next week 